Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Well, at least your wife doesn't have to worry about any women being into you. Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for making time for this. Yeah, how's it going? Introduce yourself for anybody who may not be familiar. Sure. Uh, yeah, so hello, everyone. I'm Andrew. Um, I guess I'm primarily known for either YouTube or fucking TikTok now. Somehow that happened. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I make uh, YouTube videos, stuff that's basically just based on like eight-string guitars and gen and deathcore stuff like that um and then i also play in a deathcore band called carcosa and that's uh that's most of it i think got it well one thing i wanted to uh ask you about was kind of how you manage oh it sounds douchey but how you manage your brand in other words so like on on instagram you know it's Bena carcosa but i think probably most people know you from youtube i would guess Maybe maybe TikTok, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, how do you think about that? And what was your original intention? Were you, did you just want to like grow your band and then it kind of turn into you? Or tell me about that. So I changed my my Instagram and everywhere else handle to Bainer Carcosa when we started the band, which was about a year or two ago now. But my YouTube channel is still just my my name, Andrew Baina. So I try to keep my YouTube separate from the band. Um, <laughs> a really quick and easy example of why I do this is because our previous band Galactic Pegasus was kind of like a solo project that ended up becoming a band. And that kind of had a lot of negative results as, as, as part of that, because basically everyone that followed the band was a guitarist because mm -hmm. that's why they followed me probably. And I don't know, I kind of didn't really like that in the end. Um, it kind of sucked having only people that were interested in guitars and not necessarily fans of the music. So now with this new project, we are trying to kind of separate like myself from the band so that they each have their own fan base. Of course, they're going to, you know, coexist and, and all that good stuff. But we want the band to be the band and me to be me, I guess, is is the best way to put it. And that's why I'm I'm green person and Carcosa is yellow band. <laughs> so it's interesting how even simple things like color can like be so effective in that way. Yeah, definitely. That was definitely like a 
something for myself, I kind of just realized it over time. Like I just literally like green. It's, it's that simple. There's no, no special marketing magic behind that. I just have a lot of green stuff. And then over time, I kind of realized I became sort of known for only playing green stuff. So I just kind of leaned into that even harder and I was like, fuck it, I'll get a green chair and like, whatever, anything green, I'll, I'll get it. Cause why not? Um, you can't and then, do green screen. Yeah, unfortunately not. We got to do blue screen uh, or I have to play like not a green guitar. <laughs> um, but yeah, so because I, I found that that kind of worked for myself, I, you know, when we started Carcosa, I was like, oh, well, you know, having a, a, a brand color, if you will, seems to be working for me. So we should do the same thing with Carcosa, um, which is why, you know, like basically more or less all of the Carcosa stuff is yellow. And yeah, I don't know. It's just like a weird thing. Like having a color for some reason gives, gives you like something that people can latch onto and yeah. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword when you, you know, have that guitarist fan base, because on the one hand, you know, they are super, I, I make fun of them all the time, obviously. I just but, heard you doing that. It was great. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, but I get it. You know, I mean, obviously I, I, I've been playing guitar since I was like a child, you know, and I, 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 I'm, I make fun out of love, so I get it, but it is a double-edged sword because they're very, like, they're a very engaged audience and they get super, super enthusiastic and that's cool. But then on the other hand, they do have sort of pretty, I guess to me, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, to me, kind of rigid expectations of, you know, what you're going to do and kind of what the appeal is going to be. And if there aren't, if there isn't like shredding and there isn't breakdowns and this, that, and the other, they're probably going to ignore it. And they like get really fixated on gear to the point where you're like, yeah, but do you even listen to the music? Exactly. <laughs> you just yeah. want to talk about tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's T- exactly talk about that right. a bit. Yeah. So, so again, to kind of go back to what I was mentioning a couple minutes ago, right. With, with our previous band, that's kind of how we were all feeling in the band was that, for you know for better or for worse we had this like mainly guitar based audience and we weren't really playing like technical music in in the previous band either so we just kind of felt like it actually ended up being kind of worse for us because like all people talked about were like the riffs and not necessarily the songs as a whole and I don't know. It was just kind of frustrating. Like some of the songs that I thought were our best songs in the previous band, like a lot of other people didn't really seem to like because they were like catchy or whatever. And they didn't have like, a, Oh, it's like a really cool riff in there. And I don't know. I, it was just kind of frustrating in the end. Whereas, you know, kind of moving into deathcore for better, or for worse, people have not as high expectations of, you know, you have to play like crazy hard riffs because nobody really gives a shit. They just want to hear, heavy breakdowns, which honestly, uh, that's all I like to hear and do anyways. So it works out perfectly for me. When did you, so you, you've been doing YouTube for what, like nine or 10 years or something now? Oh yeah. Something like that. It's a long time. <laughs> when did you sort of start taking that seriously? I guess. Yeah. So there were like a few moments. The first one was when I made this stupid video back in like 2012 maybe um it was called like how to get signed to rise records i don't know if oh i do remember that one i I actually didn't know that was you that was me um so that was (laughs) so that was like the first video i had ever made that went i mean for 2012 standards viral i think it had like 400,000 views which at the time was crazy so when that happened i was like oh shit i didn't even know this was possible so i was kind of like okay well maybe i'm actually onto something here and 
you know, I was already making YouTube videos anyways that were getting just like a couple hundred views. And then that happened. And that kind of, I guess, like invigorated me or made me want to take it more seriously, um, especially because at the time I was like working at fucking Walmart and still in university. And I was just like, this fucking sucks. I don't want to do this. So then once I kind of realized like, oh, hey, this thing I actually like doing, which was making videos and playing guitar might actually be a viable career path or something like that. So that was like the first major thing that made me want to take it more seriously. And then again, a couple of years later, I was doing mostly like pop meets gent covers when that was like super popular. And I did like a cover of Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. And then that got like millions of views. And I was like, holy fuck. So again, kind of the same thing where I was like, wow, this is going so good, blah, blah, blah. And again, kind of reinvigorated me to try harder. And then I kind of had like a big like slump period where I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing. And I kept basically just trying to like make Wrecking Ball happen again. And it obviously didn't. So like when you say you're trying to make it happen, were you doing more like gent pop covers and they just weren't hitting? Or what do you mean by that? Yeah, exactly. Like I was still basically doing, you know, the same type of content, like pop gent covers, and they just gradually decreased in popularity over time, which, you know, makes sense, obviously. But at the time I was pretty frustrated because to me, you know, as a as a younger YouTuber, I was like, oh shit, like how come this one video worked and these other ones aren't? Like, isn't this what people wanted? Like if they liked this one, why would they not like this one? All the things that I'm sure you also ask yourself sometimes or any YouTuber does, right? So that was pretty like demotivating. And then uh, I think the next thing was I started doing these like tuned down videos where- Were you the one that started that? I think I was. I'm pretty sure. I definitely was the one that milked it dry, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Well, dude, Um, if you find something that works, you're going to, any YouTuber is going to fucking milk it as long as you can, because it's so hard to find those things that like consistently hit. Yeah. I was just listening to your interview with Fluff and you guys were talking about something similar to this too, where, you know, I'm, I'm almost like jealous or not jealous, but envious of YouTubers who find like a content strategy where it's like, I call it like an ever evergreen content strategy where it's like, you can always make the same type of video and it always fucking works. So that's what I think like every content creator is after. And it's so fucking hard to find. So for me, I thought that that was that, and it kind of was for a couple of years, but of course, naturally people lose interest over time. And, you know, that's kind of the story of, of my YouTube life is every couple of years, I find something where I'm like, oh, this is the thing. And then I just fucking uh, just go at it. And then eventually people stop caring. And I'm like, okay, well, I got to find something new now. Right. I'm, I'm currently in one of those slumps where my views have been down maybe 20, 30% for the past couple months. And I don't know how much, some of that is probably due to people to COVID like reopening and stuff, yeah, but I know, sure. it, it, but, but I never want to blame I never want to blame that sort of stuff. I always want to assume it's my fault. I feel that for sure. But but in all seriousness, I do because I think that's the smart thing to do is to assume that it's your fault. Because if you are always blaming external factors, then you're, you know, you're not going to realize you're not going to recognize those times where you've kind of gotten a little bit stale. And to yeah, be honest, sure. I think maybe I I, I think that um you know, I, I wasn't giving my audience what they wanted for a few months, which is the sort of videos that, that put me on the map, these kind of like, you know, music history sort of videos. Cause those are not necessarily my favorite thing in the world to do about like older guitar music, mm-hmm. but that's what my audience <laughs> wants from me. I was like, you know, I I'm going to try doing something different. 
and I am just sort of seeing a gradual decline in views. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, I'm going to go back to giving them what they want for a while. See what happens. Um, Mm -hmm. you, you've, you've been doing this longer than I have, and you've had some of these slumps and stuff. How do you get through those? And what advice would you have for me or anybody else who's in one? That's such a weird question. Cause I feel like if anything, I would ask you for advice personally, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's, it's really tricky, man. It's so demotivating when you get into those slumps where, especially if it's something you care about, which of course, what we do, we do care about because it's like, yes, it's our job and livelihood, but it started out as something we cared about and we still do. So it is really hard when, you know, you're making videos that you, I assume that you care about and that you like, you know, that's at least what I try to do. And it sucks when that kind of feeling isn't reciprocated, I guess. Like, you know, like you you think that, oh, my audience watches me. So therefore they're going to like what I like. And sometimes that simply isn't the case. And it really sucks. And it, there's this weird thing where I don't know if you experienced this as well, but it's almost like a, like a, like an artist's pride type thing where you're like, oh, well, I don't want to do the same thing I've already done because I've already done it. Right. And that's like a thing that a lot of people struggle with, including myself. And it's almost weird in YouTube because you, you can't really think of it that way because sometimes you do have to just do what people want to see which kind of sucks. And then if you say it out loud, people are like, oh, you're fucking sellout and whatever. Right. And it's like, I'm transparent about that. It's not that I, it's not that I hate doing those videos or something. I mean, I enjoy it. I like making videos. Sure. Sure. It wouldn't be my first choice, but it's not like I hate it or something, you know, but I believe in telling people that stuff because I want them to understand how things actually work, you know, and just like with bands, like the Devil Wars product can't just go make a ska album. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter how good that album is. It's just not what their audience wants from that. For sure. Yeah. They they can't do it. And I want audiences to understand that, that, you know, because that's what they always say. Oh, just do whatever you want. Do it makes you happy. Well, dude, that's not how it works. No, unfortunately not. I, w- I wish it was. <laughs> I wish, you know, not if you want to keep paying the bills. That's not how it works. Just the same as a restaurant. You know, it's it's business. You got to give. Exactly. It's a product and you got to give people a product that they want or you got a business. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not mad about that. That's just the way it works. Definitely. It's kind of like a weird shift in mentality that I think every YouTuber or content creator has to kind of realize at some point in time, because I feel like everyone inherently has that feeling of like, I don't know, it's like a pride thing. Like you don't want to, you don't want to cave in or, or do mm-hmm. what the people want you to do. I don't know. It's like this weird fucking thing and stubborn, hard headed artist bullshit. Yeah. I don't know. And it, it's a thing that I've experienced as well. And, you know, sometimes I still do. And I'm sure if I know Johnny is watching my, the vocalist of my band, he's in a bunch of my videos and I'm sure he would tell you the same thing, but yeah, as for like advice on how to overcome that, it's just a lot of persistence. And the way that I've found that works for me is to kind of I guess like layer like an old style video that you think slash know will do well with a new type of content so then you're kind of getting the best of both worlds like hopefully you're getting that you know the older fan base who likes x thing you're still satisfying them but hopefully they're sticking around for the new y thing and then maybe that's like a good way to potentially grow this new idea or or series that you want to grow or something like that that's what I've tried to do. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the idea for a series just fucking sucks and there's nothing you can do about it, regardless of how much you like it. And yeah, but it's, it seems like the best way to do it is kind of 
do a little back and forth or, or layering ideas. If, if that makes any fucking sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah. How, how do you decide when it's time to give up an idea? Like, do you try something once, twice, 10 times before you're like, okay, I guess people are just not into this. There's been some times where I've tried things only twice and they were such high effort for such little reward that I was just like, fuck it. Like, this is not worth the time. Sometimes, unfortunately, because it might have been something that I really liked, but it was just like, look, I'm spending like 40 hours on this one video and I can spend one hour doing this instead and get way better results. And sometimes like it is what it is and you just have to go with that. There's been a few that I've tried like a couple of times. Like, I think the best example for my personal content that I can think of is I did these like metal in public videos that I only Mm -hmm. did twice. And of course, like I did one and it wasn't like I was the first one to do it, but I did, you know, one and it did super well. So I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is the new series. So I got to do this again. Um, but then like due to circumstances that happened, like I wasn't able to film the next one for like months and months and months. And then by the time I finally did the next one, the next one did like way worse. And I was like, well, that was embarrassing as fuck in real life. Cause I'm literally standing on the street and it sucks. You're a fucking idiot. Yeah. So I was like getting views from it. Yeah. I was like, what's like, the fuck? If I'm going to humiliate right? myself in public, at least give me some fucking views. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's like a good example of one where I think I tried twice and I was like the amount of embarrassment this is versus the, the actual reward is just like not worth it for me. Um, and then there's some other ones that are, even if they still don't get views, I just like them so much that I just fucking do them anyways. Like I do like FAQ videos like every YouTuber does. Yeah. And usually people don't watch my FAQ videos or at least, you know, not that many people compared to my regular vi- regular videos. But it's also like, I don't know, man, like the 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 more like hardcore fans seem to still watch them and they still like it. So I'm kind of like, fuck it, it's fine. And also they're easy to film anyways. So whatever. I think it's important to do those like viewer comments, Q and A, whatever type videos. I, I do a decent amount of those too. They never, they're never the highest views, but I think it's important to do those because that's, you know, your chance for people to get to know you a little bit better as a person. And yeah, maybe only 30% as many people watch it or whatever, but those 30% of people, now they know you so much better and that enables exactly. them. They're, they're way more invested and they, they understand your point of view and that's going to make them more invested in everything you put out forever. Um, so I think that's really important. Like as compared to like, there's some creators like MKBHD, for example, I think he's fantastic. I love his content. I wish he would do more personal stuff. Mm, Like I would watch his vlogs just about his day all day long. I don't really care what he thinks about the new phone anymore. Sure. Yeah. But I would watch his personal shit all the time if he did it. But as far as I know, he doesn't do anything personal. And, you know, some people just don't want to share that part of their lives. And I guess that's fine as long as you're getting the results you like. But I think it's super important for people to do that stuff, even if it doesn't get the most views. Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of why I still do it as well. In addition to that, like, it's also just fun to do because they're easy videos and you're basically talking to your fans, right? Like what's wrong with that? Um, I think the reason I started doing them was because I saw Ola England doing his and I fucking love his FAQ videos. Like even my, my fiance and I watch them together and she doesn't really care about metal at all, but she still thinks they're fucking awesome. Right. So just stuff like that. I don't know. So it kind of depends on, on what the type of content is. If I enjoy it a lot, even if it doesn't work, sometimes I'll just say, fuck it and keep doing it. If I don't really enjoy it and it doesn't do well, I definitely am not going to keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) So for anybody who uh, has not, you know, ever uploaded a video to YouTube, when you log into your dashboard, 
Uh, it tells you how well your last video did. And the way it that. shows that is like what rank it is out of 10. So <laughs> if it's one out of 10, it's the best. If it's 10 out of 10, it's the, it's the worst. Yeah. So my question for you is, which which would you rather um, wake up in the morning to see? An email from your doctor that you have cancer or a 10 <laughs> out of 10 video? Oh, no, dude. The 10 out of 10 thing is like soul crushing. It sucks <laughs> so worst. much. <laughs> I hate that they added that feature. I wish they would take it away. It's like, I don't know if you had this in America. In Canada, there was a thing where on Instagram, you could choose whether you could see how many likes you got or not. No, they never rolled that out here, but I heard about it. Okay. Yeah. So in Canada, that was a thing. I'm like, I wish they would have that option, but for the 10 out of 10 feature on YouTube, you know? (laughs) So only show it to me when it's like four or higher. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you, you take those as hard as I do. Unfortunately, yes. I try, like, dude, I've tried everything to trick myself into telling myself I I don't care about it. And I don't know, something about that, like the view count is just like this inescapable thing that I cannot stop caring about. Like, it's so fucking annoying because there are some months where I'll be like, oh, this is the most money I've made in my entire life in one month. But all of my videos did way worse than ever before. And it's like this weird thing where I'm like, well, on the one hand, it shouldn't really matter because like I killed it in this other area or like my TikTok did really well, but my YouTube did really bad. So like, why do I care so much about YouTube in particular? I don't know. It's like this weird mental barrier that I can't break out of and it fucking sucks. I wish I could, I've tried every, (laughs) everything I could possibly think of to tell myself I don't care. And I just can't stop complaining about it. (laughs) But on the other hand, that's part of why you're successful. I think it's kind of bad advice when people say, oh, don't pay attention to the numbers. Yeah. Well, if you don't pay attention to the numbers, then how do you know if you're doing a good job or not? That's true for sure. You know, I think you have to, it's like like uh, kickboxers, like Muay Thai fighters will kick trees to toughen up their shins. Oh my God, okay. You know, like, I, I don't know whether it's actually a good idea or not, but they do it, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. The idea is it just deadens the nerves in your shins until you can just like kick the shit out of somebody and it doesn't hurt. That's how I think about the analytics is like, you just build up a tolerance for like facing the truth is what I think it is. I think you're like, if you can't face the truth of it, of seeing that your last video, people didn't like it, then maybe this isn't for you because ultimately the audience is the boss. You know, they decide what's successful, not us. And if, and if this is not an art project, you know, at least that's, that's how I think of it. Sure. Yeah. I agree with you, especially when it becomes your, your living and your livelihood, right? Then it really, you do have to be running it as a business and as brutal as those analytics can be, they are very important for you deciding what route to take your business, right? Yep. I don't think people should be a complete slave to them necessarily because, you know, you need to be happy. And if you're making content that you just absolutely hate just for views, then that's, there's probably other ways to make money that are easier than that. For sure. Uh, And it can be tough on the, you know, it's tough on the ego and the self-esteem and mental health and stuff to see those numbers. But I I just, I think that is just terrible advice to tell people not to pay attention to the analytics. Yeah. I mean, I think the analytics are like such a valuable tool, especially once you sort of understand how the algorithm works and all that stuff, understanding, well, what, what went wrong here? Was it the topic? So basically the two most important things are click-through rate and retention. So like the click-through rate would be affected by topic, title, and thumbnail. So did people click on the video? And then once they clicked on it, how long did they watch for are the two most important things. And if people 
uh, clicked on it but didn't watch very long, that means you made a shitty video yeah, or at least or a video that people didn't like. Right? Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, if watch time was really good but click-through rate is low, that means that you made a good video but maybe some something about the topic title and thumbnail weren't engaging to people and maybe you can save it by retitling it which happens to me sometimes. It doesn't usually work, but I do try. If I get like a eight, nine or 10, I'll try to change the title and maybe 20% of the time that'll save it. Yeah. But you know, it's worth a try, right? I've, yeah. I've started doing that more recently after I've honestly seen you doing it. I think you usually post them on your Instagram stories or something like that. And that kind of made me want to try it. And sometimes it has worked and, you know, more often than not, it doesn't. And you're just like, okay, I guess this video was shit. Oh, well. Um, but Hey, you know, if, even if it works 20% of the time, that's still worth doing in my opinion. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, only takes a couple seconds. Well, let's talk about TikTok. I haven't followed your stuff in there super closely because I just I don't look at TikTok very much. That's fair. <laughs> TikTok is awesome. It's just it don't have time, you know. But I know that you've gotten quite a bit of success over there recently. 
Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, it was really much to my surprise. Um, the the thing that kind of started it all off was a video series that I was doing with Johnny on my YouTube channel already anyways, where we would just basically scream funny shit as breakdown callouts. And that was it. It was like the easiest fucking idea we've ever thought of. And literally, if you watch the old TikToks, it's really funny because I literally took the YouTube video and just like cut it in direct one minute clips. Like they're not even vertical format or anything. And I was like, fuck it. And just put them up on TikTok. Cause I was like, Hey, it's content I've already made. It takes me 30 seconds extra to just do this. So why not? So I just started uploading stuff to TikTok that was already done for YouTube because of, you know, those reasons. And then like, for whatever reason, one of those call out videos just out of nowhere to me, went viral and got like, you know, a couple million views or whatever. And I was like, Oh fuck. Okay. Um, so then same thing, you know, I, I, obviously me and Johnny were talking and we're like, well, obviously we need to do more of that. So then we did the same thing where we made a new YouTube video, but it was always like primarily YouTube. And I kept just cutting them up for TikTok. And then after it kind of like kept going viral or kept getting way more views on TikTok than YouTube, I was like, okay, well, this clearly is a series that works. So we should probably try harder and not be lazy and just cut up YouTube videos. And, you know, so we like flipped the camera sideways and actually filmed TikToks for TikTok. And then once we started doing that, one of them got like 13 million views and another one got 12 million views. And I was like, holy fuck, that's like almost more views than all of my YouTube videos combined. And I've been doing this for like 10 years. So what the fuck? So obviously I was really excited and Johnny was too. Um, And then, yeah, that's really pretty much it is. It's really just mostly those videos that have popped off and we just kind of kept making them. I just looked and you got 850,000 followers on TikTok now. Yeah, it's crazy. What's interesting is that you've seen it happen kind of a lot that people will have viral TikToks, but they don't get any followers out of it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you have, which is which is interesting because I wonder what it is that is sort of the determining factor there. Like maybe if it's just some super hot girl and people don't give a shit, I don't know. If I was to guess, TikTok's analytics aren't very good for this, but my assumption is that people follow because they see whichever video went viral and then they look at my page and there is actually more of that type of content. That's like the only reason I can think of. If that's not the case, okay, I don't really know. And probably a lot of those people knew who you were already too and just didn't know you were on TikTok. Yeah, I definitely got get comments being like, oh, I watched your Wrecking Ball video in 2013. I didn't know you still were alive or whatever. And I'm like, oh, cool. Thanks, I guess. (laughs) Isn't it crazy that there's people that have been watching for like 10 fucking years? It's beyond weird. I cannot comprehend that it's cool but it's weird as fuck (laughs) how do you feel about getting recognized in public i mean i'm not gonna lie i like it it's pretty cool feeling i'm like fuck yeah it doesn't happen very often but especially if i'm like with a friend or other people then i'm just like hell yeah (laughs) it's amazing to me because it just goes to show how like you feel like you're just doing this in your room by yourself and it doesn't really exist but it's a reminder that it does exist like I got recognized. Um, do you know where Orcas Island is? No, I don't think so. It's one of the San Juans just right off the coast here. So Andrew's up in Vancouver. You're in Vancouver, right? Uh, technically not, not really, but close enough. BC. <laughs> yeah. And I'm here in the Seattle area. And so there's all these islands kind of in between Seattle and Canada. 
um, my wife and I went for a vacation on Orcas Island, which is almost all the way up to like Victoria. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Okay. And the fucking waiter recognized me, <laughs> which was crazy. wild. He was like acting all weird. And I was like, what is this kid's problem? And then afterwards he was like, oh, I'm a big fan. And I was like, oh, that's, that's what it was. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, that there's that you reach someone on this random fucking Island in the middle of nowhere. It's trippy. It doesn't happen too often. Um, like it'll obviously happen more at like, like places like Nam. It's like, you oh, know, sure, obviously yeah. it's like, it's only musicians that go there. So the, the likelihood of that happening is way higher, but yeah, in like day-to-day life, it's like almost never, but when it does happen, well, at least your wife doesn't have to worry about any women being into you. What do you mean? Like female fans. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause guitar fans. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It doesn't happen too often. Uh, other than like the, the main like music things, like if it's at a music store or like a concert or something like that, then it's like, yeah, this makes sense. Cause you like the same shit I do. Don't worry, babe. They only want to fuck their guitars. Yeah. They just want to ask about my string gauges. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's cool, man. I, I, I personally like it and I'm always very open to meeting anyone if they want to say hi or take a picture or whatever it's all cool with me but do you tell people now you're a tiktoker or a youtuber which is more embarrassing <laughs> i haven't had the opportunity yet because fucking covid but i'm not sure it's something i've debated heavily it depends i'm gonna let them decide like if they say like oh i follow you on tiktok then i'll be like yeah I, I, I think you should just go introduce people or just go up to people and tell them like i'm a tiktoker they don't even ask about me like it's just a random person like hey have you seen me before? Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's up, man? I'm a TikToker. Yeah. Do you want a picture of me? <laughs> yeah. Um, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. I can send it uh, to you. Man. Yeah. Where do you want to go with the TikTok thing since it seems like it kind of caught you by surprise? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially because it's bigger than my YouTube channel now, which is obviously a good thing. But going back to what we were talking about earlier, in a way, it almost upset me when it happened because I was like, fuck, I've been doing YouTube for 10 years. And then this thing that I didn't give a fuck about just worked like in a month. Um, But obviously it's a good thing and I'm happy about it. So what we've done so far is Johnny and I have started a cameo because in Canada, for whatever reason, TikTok monetization isn't available, which is annoying, but whatever. So pretty much like really my main current goal with uh, TikTok is really to just push people to my band And then also Johnny and my cameo because, you know, doing cameos is is honestly pretty fucking funny and it's like easy money. And then obviously the band is something I care about a lot. And there are lots of people who like hearing me and Johnny scream. So I'm like, Hey, if you want to hear screaming, that's not a joke, then check out our band and it'll probably make you feel like crying or something, but you might like it. So the band has not really been active in non COVID times really. Correct. No, that's right. Uh, we started or we like publicly announced in June 2020. So yeah, we haven't done anything outside of COVID. We had been like working on the band silently in the background before COVID. I think we wrote our first EP in June 2019, but we kind of were like sitting on it and just like we couldn't really decide if we wanted to say fuck it and release it or like wait till COVID was over, which doesn't seem like a thing anymore. Right. Oh, honey, that's never going to be over. I know. Fuck. Uh, But yeah, when it came time to like, you know, June 2020, we were kind of like, fuck it. Like, let's not wait around. If anything, I I was like, well, this is probably actually better for us because there's way less competition for bands right now because lots of bands just stopped doing stuff at that time, especially. So yeah, we just kind of decided to 
push through and put out our first EP anyways. And it went like way better than any of us expected it to. And yeah, we just kind of been going from there, just really focusing on, you know, making like music videos and videos, which is great because that's already what I do. Um, and then, you know, we, for the most part, pretty much like self-record everything and then get it remote mixed and mastered. Um, so luckily for us, like we already had all this stuff kind of set up anyways, cause we, we all know how to record ourselves and make videos and, and all that good stuff. So yeah, I don't know. We're, we're pretty lucky in that regard. Obviously I'm looking forward to playing a show cause that would be cool. Um, we have one booked for November, but I mean, I, I certainly hope it happens, but it's also, you know, with the way tour cancellations are going right now, like who, who fucking knows. Right. Yeah. Uh, are you uh do you want to like do longer like real tours or how are you because that that obviously is tough with balancing right. youtube and stuff yeah so uh, the other thing too is um johnny our vocalist is also the guitarist in a band called angel maker and oh, they're okay. like a pretty pretty big deathcore band and they are like a full-time touring band right so he's also already going to be touring full-time in that band um so yeah we don't really plan on doing full-time touring but uh i think we basically would like to be doing like maybe like two a year to like two week ish runs or something like that uh it's a little hard to say because we haven't actually booked anything yet or yeah. like seen many offers come through but that's kind of like the the current thought at least um and yeah i i personally don't want to tour full-time because like i have to be here making videos and especially you know i don't i don't want to be like away from home for like six or eight months a year that doesn't sound fun to me personally um you it's know. a rough life living in a van with a bunch of dudes yeah it's not it's it's fun but it's not like a a lifestyle thing that i personally want nothing wrong with it so just like a serious hobby for you i guess so yeah i mean like i would love to do like festival appearances and and a couple tours a year and obviously make the band as big as we possibly can still but just the touring part of it is the only thing i don't want to take full time i guess but everything else i'm basically all in on how important do you think the touring part is i don't really know it's something that we thought about because of our kind of like weird, seemingly middle ground position on this. I don't know, because like on the one hand, you have like people in other bands that for whatever reason don't take you seriously unless you're a full-time touring band. It's because that's all they know. And, you know, they, they just have that weird invisible script in their head. For sure. And like it's up until now, it's always been like, that's what bands do. You tour full-time, that's your job. But... At the same time, again, especially with COVID, we've also kind of seen, I guess, like a new type of band that is just essentially a studio project. And they're still doing just as well, if not better than before. So I'm not really sure. Because on the one hand, I don't think touring is ever going to like fully go away or anything like that. But I'm not sure if maybe, you know, with COVID, maybe it's it's going to be like a less important piece of the puzzle, perhaps. I, I don't know. So I'm not really sure if it's going to negatively affect us or not. I hope it doesn't. But yeah, I'm not really sure. I guess we'll see once once COVID is over. Once again, there's that term, right? <laughs> it seems like one of those things where I think a lot of people tour all the time because they have to, because that's how they you know make their their money, which I totally understand. But I'm not sure that it's really necessary from a marketing perspective 
And lots of the other thing people don't talk about is lots of smaller brands lose money on tours. Yes, definitely. The one and only tour we did, we lost a shit ton of money on. Yeah. So it's not like, um, you know, a smaller band going out on tour um, that, that, that may hurt them financially more than it helps them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if you know how to drive streams and you're, you know, self-recording and all that stuff, you know, that's a big difference. You, if you, I, I assume that your stuff so far has been self-released, right? Uh, so far, other than this new album that's coming out in two weeks, by the way, anyone watching, um, yeah, we signed up with a digital distribution partner called Blood Blast Distribution, and they're basically like a subsidiary of Nuclear Blast, except it's it's pretty much like Nuclear Blast, but like only the distribution part of things. So we signed up with them for this release, but before this, yeah, we just did everything on like DistroKid or whatever. But yeah, for the most part, you know, like we still like control all of our own masters and they literally only do digital distribution like any and all vinyl, CDs, merch, all that stuff is still 100% our thing. What does digital distribution mean exactly? So it pretty much is like what DistroKid does. Like it gets your music on Spotify, et cetera. But the benefit is playlist pitching. It's That's the big one because, you know, I don't know if you've ever used DistroKid. I think you have because you've been sponsored by them, right? But yeah, like, you know, anyone can playlist or anyone can playlist pitch anything on Spotify. So they're getting like fucking 100,000 playlist pitches a day, right? Yeah, I get like probably 10 or 15 a day for my random shitty playlist with 7,000 followers. Sure. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. So the thing is like, okay, well, let's put it this way. So if you got a playlist pitch, but it said like from Nuclear Blast at the top, like, would you be more likely to read that? I would be 10 times more likely to open that email. Exactly. And and play like, you know, Hopeless will send me an email pitching something. And I pretty much always put it on the playlist because I guess it's from Hopeless. Why not? Yeah, that's that's basically the point of of what this is. I mean, there's other benefits as well, but that was the big one for, for me. And I think but you still own the masters that. and everything. Yes. So that's a crucial difference. Yes, exactly. Got it. Okay. I I and then same with like, you know, they, like I said, they don't take a cut out of any physical sales, like merch, final CDs, anything. Right. So pretty much we're giving up like a small percentage of only digital. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, digital sales are not that big of a percentage of the money we make anyways. And if we can increase the amount of streams we get, then we would make more money anyways, even with their percentage taken off. So like, why would we not do that? And it's just on a, on a, a per release basis. So you're not like committed to this for 10 years or something? I mean, I don't know if the contract is the same for every artist, but as far as I remember, this is only for this release. Great. So you try it out. If it works, cool. If not, you know, you don't really lose much. Exactly. I'm interested in that idea because like the function of a label in the past was to finance recording was a big part of it when it cost, you know, 50 or 500 grand to record an album. But now, especially with you guys where, you know, you can record yourselves reasonably well at home and then have somebody mix it for a couple grand, you don't need a label to front you the money for that. And most other people don't either. I don't really understand why people are so fixated on getting signed because especially a smaller label, what are they really going to do for you? Yeah. Well, and we also did make that mistake with our previous band where we did sign with a a smaller label and it definitely wasn't worth it. And yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of like the like law of diminishing returns. Like over time, like 
everything, almost everything a label can provide for you now, you can probably do yourself. It might cost a little more money or at least more upfront money, but the potential reward, if you guys are good and successful, is way higher, right? Right. Then you're not doing, what are those deals called? The 360. 360 deals. Thank you. You know, that's like any any penny that the label puts in, they have to get back before they pay you anything. And then when they do start paying you, it's still on a fucking probably 50-50 split or whatever, right? Right. So it's like, if they invest $10,000, you have to make $10,000 and then you'll start making 50% of what you're making. So it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't, it just doesn't, it's not necessary anymore when it only costs a couple grand to record and mix an EP. Exactly. Why give up so much ownership of what you do for a label? It's probably not going to do much for you anyhow. I, that, this distribution thing to me seems like the future. So that's smart. I think so too. That's what we're hoping for. At least that's why we were, you know, interested in trying it out. And I don't know, so far I'm pretty happy with it. And I, yeah. Are you uh, up to take a few of your questions here? Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, the last question that I would have for you is about TikTok. For anybody, I think a lot of um, rock and metal people are still kind of, you know, on the fence about TikTok. They think they're too good for it or it's corny or something like this. What would you say to any of those people, the same people who complain about organic reach on Instagram, but won't get on TikTok? What would you say to those people? The thing I would say is think back 10 years ago to when this little website called YouTube started existing and people started calling themselves YouTubers. Did people think it was cringe? Probably. Does everyone want to be a YouTuber now? Probably. Does every band have a YouTube channel now? Fucking definitely. It's like every social media platform or whatever service that appears, everyone thinks it's lame and cringe when it comes out. Nobody wants to be the first people on it. And then if the site is good, everyone's going to want to fucking be on it. So like, why would you not just take 30 seconds out of your day, make the fucking account? Like you're probably can post the exact same videos you're already posting to Instagram or YouTube or wherever. Anyways, you already have the content made. Like why not just post it somewhere else? It's 30 seconds of extra work and it might do better than your other platforms. Like what I said earlier, I did not put any effort into my TikTok and it is literally eight times as big as my YouTube channel now, which I've worked on for 10 years. So let this be a lesson. <laughs> there you go. And here's my old ass on Twitch. <laughs> well, we've got some, uh, we got some good questions here. Uh, first one, how did you land your partnership with Rev Amps? So there was somebody on YouTube or something that commented on something they did saying like, fuck YouTubers. Why does Rev support them? They should support real artists like me. And then because of that comment, I think I replied to it or something being like, yeah, YouTubers are the worst, like as a joke. Yeah. So then Rev sent me a pedal to spite that guy. <laughs> and that's the first reason why I started working with Rev. And then it's it's stupid, but it's hilarious. Um, so then, you know, we kind of just made like a joke out of it. And then, you know, the pedal was also just sick. And then like later that year, I went to NAMM for the first time and met them in person. And then, you know, they just kind of kept giving me gear to show on my channel and that's basically what it's all about is they were like hey you can get us views on our products and you like our products so we'll give you a product in exchange for helping us promote it and yeah here we are that's that's basically it all started with a meme and now it's mutually beneficial so just goes to show put yourself out there sometimes it can start with just a, a simple comment yeah surprisingly a couple of guitar questions here 
I know extended range is your thing. This is from Immersive Center. What do you think about the future of six-string baritone versus the eight-string stuff? It feels pretty niche, but the following is pretty rabid. I'm a fan of baritones. What do you think? Yeah, I think baritones are awesome. Um, like, obviously, I lean into the joke the other way where I'm like, fuck six strings, eight strings, you know, because, you know, it, why would I not? Old school guitars, as I like to call them. Yeah, grandpa guitars. Um but yeah, no, baritones are awesome. I I honestly think if I was just getting into guitar right now, I probably would not play an eight string. I probably would play a baritone. I don't like how wide the necks are. Yeah, I mean, the reason why, the primary reason why I play an eight string is because at the time I started playing them, that was, to my knowledge, the only way you could tune low was with an eight string because I didn't fucking know what I was doing. And also baritones didn't really exist nearly as much back in, this would have been like 2012 or something. Um, so I didn't know what the fuck a scale length was, right? I was like, I don't know, it has more strings and it's lower, so I'm going to use that. Whereas now, of course, you know, most people know like, oh, baritones are longer, so you can tune lower. Makes sense, right? Um, so I think if I was starting now, I would probably personally go baritone because I definitely don't use all eight of my strings like almost ever. I could definitely use a six string baritone tuned to the same tuning minus the two high ones. And it would probably be the same. Baritone one string. Yeah. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Like classic Jared Dines videos or whatever. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. So I think baritones are going, or I think they already are on their way to being way more mainstream, like with bands like Loathe, obviously. Um, and yeah, the baritone fan base is like still kind of niche, but they're like super hardcore dedicated to their, uh, to like promoting baritone guitars, I, I guess you would say. Yeah. Wasn't it you who had the first Evertune eight string bridge? I feel like it was. And shortly after I started noticing eight strings with Evertunes online everywhere. Uh, I don't think I was the first one with an eight string Evertune ever. I, I feel like that can't be true. I would be amazed if it was. No, that can't be the case because I, I bought like a like a ESP that had it. It wasn't like a custom or anything. So, um, but with that being said, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I maybe I influenced that trend. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit. But I think what you're thinking about is just real quick, I, since I got it here, it's probably this one. So this is the first like of this brand that has an H-ring Evertune. And now I've definitely seen a lot of other people order that. Maybe that's what you're thinking of, but what yeah. brand is that? This is uh, Aristides. It's oh, okay. a company from the Netherlands, not made out of wood. It's all sort of proprietary material. Very cool. Oh, stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it has like no wood components. They like invented their own thing called Arium that like mimics the quality of wood. And yeah, I don't know. It's pretty cool. They fought. This is this is why they fought a war in Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> So they get their their arium. Uh, from Cisagura, what country do you think metal busking would work best in? Well, apparently Russia, judging by the dude's channel who is fucking killing it doing that. I believe he's in Russia. I think his name, his YouTube channel name is like Ruslan something. I, I'm pretty sure his videos are in Russia. So apparently there. I can believe that. Cir Circle of Tone made an appearance, by the way. I'm a huge fan of his channel. Do you know his channel? I don't think I've seen his channel before. I'll have to check it out. It's awesome. He does like recreations of, you know, he'll do like, uh, I don't know, trying to recreate like the typo negative tone or something oh, okay. like that. Cool. And he like really goes down the rabbit hole of watching old interviews and like researching and you know, like, oh, I heard that, you know, I, I, 
read some old magazine from 1981 where he says that, you know, it's a, this or that kind of bridge pickup flipped upside down. Like really. Oh geez. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. Really goes down the rabbit hole. It's a cool channel. I'll have to check it out. So if you're into guitars, go check out circle of tone. I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, all right. We got a couple more minutes with Andrew. If anybody has any other questions, otherwise we'll, uh, let him get back to, uh, genting in his, uh, in his bedroom. Yeah. Classic bedroom guitarist things. No big deal. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I think that's about it. Thank you very much for uh, joining us, making time for this and uh, everyone go follow Andrew on YouTube and TikTok and Twitch and everywhere else. And stay tuned for, uh, the Carcosa album coming out. You said in two weeks. Yes. August 19th. We have a new song coming out tomorrow as well. If you're, if you're interested, it's going to be over on slam worldwide's channel. Ooh, nice. Yes. <laughs> tomorrow for all the Canadians. Yeah. Cool. Is, did I say it weird or something? No, no. We said tomorrow. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like tomorrow, like we say tomorrow, you say tomorrow. Oh shit. Okay. I don't even know. <laughs> My wife is like, for some reason she watches all these Canadian beauty YouTubers <laughs> and like, we always just now assume that if there's a beauty YouTuber that we're going to find out they're from BC because <laughs> you can, you can tell with all those little words like hand. Right. Right. You know, there's just at least subtle, like people think that Canadians say like a boot and a, and that's not yeah. really true. Maybe, maybe people Some like Alberta do. do or something, but yeah, exactly. The, the BC thing is, is different. Like Linus from Linus tech tips, yep, yep. you know, he's in Richmond and it's the BC accent that we're on the lookout for. Yeah. Even though we live what, like two hours away from each other, probably. Right. It's a different <laughs> world. Yeah, Totally. It's a different world. Cool. Well, thanks again and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like this Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.